I've decided to start opening up all of these episodes with a joke, but it's it's been really difficult for me to try to find the right joke to open up this episode with because, I mean, they're not easy to find really good jokes that make people laugh or groan because it's so terrible that they that they can't help but laugh. It's just not easy. For example, I have one that's all about time travel, but honestly, you guys didn't like it. Welcome to another episode of Just Another Fanboy. I'm your host, and my name is Steven. How's it going? Season 4, ladies and gentlemen, 2021. I know y'all been just eating up all of the audio versions of the YouTube live streams that I've been putting up here on the Just Another Fanboy feed, but my official hiatus between seasons 3 and 4 is is over. It's done. I'm done with the hiatus. And so it's time to start talking about some more comics. And since we started out season three with G.I. Joe, I figured I would start out season four with G.I. Joe as well. We're talking G.I. Joe, a real American hero issue number five from Marvel Comics. This came out in November of 1982. It was written by Larry Hama, pencils by Don Perlin, inks by Mike Esposito. The colorist was Stan Goldberg and the letterer was Jim Novak. So this issue feels like it was designed to sell the Mobat tank toy that Hasbro had made for the G.I. Joe action figure line because the the issue was all about the tank. And in fact, it starts out, we're at the pit. That is the secret headquarters where G.I. Joe hangs out, which is under the Army Chaplain School. And we've discussed my confusion with that whole thing. But Clutch and Steeler, and I don't remember who the third guy is, they're they're washing the Mobat. They're getting it all shined up. Scarlet comes along, and we learn quickly that while she can hold her own amongst the men of G.I. Joe, it doesn't seem to be a very women-friendly place, to be honest with you. I mean, these guys obviously have not heard of the hashtag MeToo movement. Because they, they're just a couple of comments that they make. I think it's mostly coming from Steeler. He just, he must be kind of a smarmy dude. Because they're washing up the Mobat, and uh, she's not all that. She, They're like, hey, hey, check out the tank, Scarlet. Isn't it awesome? And she's, ah, whatever. I don't understand men's fascination with these big technological freaking machinery things. And Steeler's like, I think Scarlet just has a hot date tonight, and she's afraid of getting all sweaty beforehand. Ha <laughs> ha. I, I'm not, I, I don't know. I don't know where he was going with uh, with that. But uh, each of the guys starts showing Scarlet all the features that the Mobat has. So it spends at least a page and a half or so just talking about the different features. Now, of course, these aren't features you're going to get with the toy, but it's something that the kids can read. And when they have the toy, they can try to incorporate some of this fun stuff in their play. For example, there is a... It's very technologically advanced. A lot of computer systems on board. It's run by, I think they said, two turbine diesel engines with uh, fewer moving parts. And so it drives smoother and quieter. And it, it all the hatches are sealed. And the exhaust ports are on telescope or are, are telescoping so that they could actually submerge the tank underwater and run the tank for an hour underwater without any water getting in. They brag about the external PA system, which 
I guess they they explain that they can use that in combat situations if the radio is down and they need to get orders out to the troops in the field. They can use this PA system, which I think one of them mentioned is louder than the actual cannon. And each thing that they point out, Scarlet's just like, eh, whatever, not any big deal. And, you know, they talk about the onboard computer system and she wants to know if they can plug a Pac-Man cartridge into it. They're showing off the the PA system. And one of them, I think it was Steeler, says basically that it, you know, they could hook a, a stereo up to it and it would be louder than a than a modern day discotheque. And she says, disco is dead, Steeler. So they explain that they're getting it all shined up because there's a big armed forces parade that's coming up uh, in the city. And apparently the top brass are a little leery about allowing G.I. Joe to use the MOBAT in combat situations because it is so technologically advanced that they are afraid that their enemies will want to try to steal it and then get a hold of that technology. But General Flag is trying to convince the top brass that the MOBAT looks like any other tank. So nobody that they go up against is going to want to steal it because they're not going to know that it's this highly, again, technologically advanced piece of machinery. And so to prove it to them, he's going to put it in this parade and he's going to let it roll right by the the top brass and they will have no idea that it's that it is what it is, that it's this special super tank. They're just going to assume it's a regular old tank and He's kept it a secret from everybody. The only people that know are the are the G.I. Joe team that's going to be driving it in the parade. And of course, General Flag. But General Flag wanted to let, I guess, one of you know his boss know. And so he put a he put a communique together, but he didn't trust, or maybe Hawk was communicating to General Flag. I don't know. But they put a communique together. They didn't trust using the uh the any of the electronic. You know, they didn't trust using the radio or the teletype or or even, you know, anything, even speaking in code. So basically, they typed up the message on a a, what would be, in essence, a telegram. And a uh, military guy was going to hand deliver it to Washington, D.C. And so the military guy is is going to the to a uh, the airport in New York so he can take the shuttle from New York to D.C. And as he's going through an X-ray machine we learn that Cobra has spies within this airport and they can, they use this x-ray machine to take x-rays of this communique and they, they take the film out of the x-ray machine and the, the lady at the x-ray machine passes it off to a sky cap who passes it off to a cab driver who drives it to some neighborhood in New York where a, um, secret Cobra hideout is in some apartment building and they develop the film and they read the communique and then they give it to another guy who takes it to Cobra Commander and Cobra Commander is just all kinds of happy about this. He's like, well, if they're going to be in the parade, then we're going to be in the parade too and we are going to steal that tank. So we get to the parade. The MOBAT is rolling down the, par- the, the, the street, you know, with the parade. And here's where we learn again that Steeler is kind of a creep because they have this marching band in front of them, the, the Springfield marching band. And they make a comment. One of them makes a comment that they're horrible, that it sounds like they've never played their instruments before in their life. And then behind them is a big float with the USS Nautilus, you know, a big float of the Nautilus. And, um, one of the dudes, Breaker or Clutch or whomever, says to uh, 
Steeler, hey, you've got the the weapons optics focused in, zoomed to the to to the highest zoom level on something. What's what's going on? And Steeler's like, oh, you know, I'm just checking stuff out. And they're like, we don't even have any ammunition on board, so I'm not sure what you're zeroing in on. And we find out that the 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 marching band in front of them has majorettes women who are in skimpy costumes and he's zeroing in on one of their fannies because he's a total creep. That's not cool, Steeler. And I'm not sure what to think about it because he's basically spying on some woman's derriere without her knowledge. And he's using taxpayer money to do it. Not cool. Not cool at all. Well, we learn that the marching band is actually Cobra. There's a moment where the parade has to stop so they can let cross traffic through and the marching band uh, surrounds the tank. They have these big banners that they put up on either side of the tank so the crowd can't see what's going on behind the banners. And then the float behind them is also with Cobra, and it opens up this big doorway that's big enough to swallow a tank. And that's when the Joes realize that it's a trap. And so they shoot forward on the tank, and they escape. They get up on the sidewalk, and they're yelling at people to get out of the way. And so then Cobra has to go after them. And uh, we find out, of course, that because they're Cobra, when one of the Joes had made the comment that it so- seems like sounds like they've never played their instruments before in their lives. Well, that's true. So we literally had a marching band going down the street, just not actually playing music. I don't, I don't know what they were playing, but it, it wasn't music because none of these people knew how to play their instruments. And so they tear open the bass drums and they pull weapons out of the bass drums and there's rocket launchers stuffed in the tubas. It's, it's pretty crazy. And so they start chasing the tank down the street, but the Joes give them the slip and they hide behind some construction equipment. And that's when Cobra, Cobra is standing just off to the side of this, this construction equipment. And they're talking about how they can't find them. And they radio in to Cobra Commander. And Breaker, I'm pretty sure it was Breaker. He's like, that radio pack that that guy had isn't going to be very strong. I mean, Cobra Commander has to be within like a 10 block radius or something. And so they all agree, well, we've got to capture the head snake. This is our chance to do it. And so they take off and uh, they go to Central Park. And Cobra Commander is telling his troopers, hey, they're they're in Central Park. We have a lock on their position using radar or something. I don't know. And so the troopers all run to Central Park and they, they're, they're standing by the big pond and they can't find the tank. And there's no tank here, Cobra Commander. And he says, are you serious? You're, you're practically standing on it. And then that's when the tank comes out of the pond and it lets out a big boom like the cannon went off. And they're like, oh, no, they're firing at us. And Steeler pops open the top, or one of them pops open the top, and he stands up and he says, that was just a warning shot over your head. You all will surrender now. And they're like, we better surrender before they they kill us. And he even says something to the effect of, uh, if we fire this at you, you'll, you, there will be nothing left of you but a lingering red mist, which is pretty dark. And so they head back to the parade ground and... The top brass are in their box and they're they're kind of complaining to General Flag because they're saying, uh, well, I thought there was going to be a, a display of armored, the, the, the armored tanks and the, our armored division and some big heavy machinery. And Flag's like, oh, yeah, I don't know what's going on. And then here comes the Joes in their tank and ahead of them is the marching band and they're pointing their guns at the marching band and the tank is all wet and muddy and gross looking because it was, you know, in this pond. And one of the generals is like, what's going on here? That tank looks like crap. And General Flag is like, well, uh, we thought it, we would show you what a tank looks like during normal combat conditions. And 
that's when one of the Joes realizes that there's some electronic signature of some sort coming from underneath the big box bleachers where all the the top brass is sitting and they it dawns on them that that must be where cobra commander is and so they just head straight for the the bleachers the top brass start running oh my gosh the tank is gonna is gonna run into us general hawk on the other hand he's or general flag he's up there on the stands and he takes out his gun and he's like don't make me fire on you boys which seems kind of silly because it's a handgun and they're in a tank well, they plow into the bleachers, and sure enough, there's Cobra Commander with some other Cobras under there doing, you know, communications-type stuff. And they they run, and Flag goes after him, and Cobra Commander gets away because he he's standing am- amongst a bunch of Girl Scouts, and he pulls his gun out, and he's like, you won't shoot at me, Flag. You may hit one of these Girl Scouts. And so Flag is like, eh, well, I can't really shoot him then. I don't want to hit a Girl Scout, and... Cobra Commander gets away and he, he fires at flag first and he, he you think he gets hit in the head, but it just actually grazes his his temple. So he's down, but he's not out. And one of the Joes afterwards is like, I don't understand, General Flag. You uh, you're an expert marksman with that handgun. I've seen you shoot a, a pee off the top of a freaking soda can or something stupid like that. And he's like, well, I guess that's what makes us the good guys. And then that's how the, the issue kind of ends. It was okay. It was kind of dumb. Um, I don't really care about the tank all that much. The tank doesn't impress me. A um, lot of really not... What's the word I'm looking here for? It's It wasn't really a good issue um, in the way I guess they treat women with the whole stealer staring at the girl's behinds uh, using the tank equipment to do so. There's a moment in the stands with the top brass where one of the one of the generals makes a comment how all of the marching bands they've seen so far have had ugly majorettes which that seemed kind of a not a good statement to make it's it's like oh okay um i i i don't know it just it wasn't can't think of how i want to say it it wasn't um good lord i've just i've just lost my ability to speak using proper words it didn't really put men in a good light in regard to how they think about women in this comic book, I guess you could say, because even though Scarlet was in the issue and again, she's a strong female lead and she seems to hold her own against the jibes that she may get every once in a while from the Joes. So I don't know. I don't know. It was a pretty, it was a pretty lame issue when it comes to that part of it. And it was a really kind of a lame issue all in all. It wasn't it didn't further the story. It was a one and done. It was just, uh, I don't know, it it wasn't all that clever. The art was pretty good. Don Perlin, I'm, I'm really enjoying him on G.I. Joe, but all in all, not a great issue. Hopefully the series will get better. These are all these, these first few issues. I know I've read before, but this is not the G.I. Joe I grew up on. I didn't start reading G.I. Joe until somewhere in the 20s. So, uh... It's almost as if I'm reading these for the first time, even though it's not. It's just been a long time since I've I've read them. It, it's, it's, well, not really. It's been over a year, but I've read so much stuff that you just kind of forget what's going on in some of these books. But not a good issue. Hopefully the next one will be better. I guess we'll find out. Until then, my name is Steven, and I'm just another fanboy. Thank you for listening. Be nice to each other. Wear a mask. Stay safe. And let's just keep that world spinning, shall we? Bye.
Bye, Daddy. Bye, bye, Daddy. Good job. Yeah.